Hi, this is the Home Bodies Yoga Podcast, and I'm Rebecca Hirsch, and this is our 29th episode. In this podcast, I ask people what they do when they unroll their yoga mat and tell you a little bit about what's going on on mine. If you have a question about your yoga practice or a suggestion for a guest, please email me at Rebecca at Home Bodies Yoga. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Home Bodies Yoga Podcast. To find out more about each show, please go to our website, homebodiesyoga.com. If you're enjoying the show, please rate and review and subscribe so you never miss an episode. And this week is pretty crazy. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but there is a resurgence of COVID. Not sure. You probably haven't heard about it. Probably haven't seen it. Probably hasn't affected your life. (laughs) Just kidding. Obviously it has. Uh, So uh, basically I have no childcare. Um, so everything is having to get done a little bit faster and at different times, like after my kid goes to bed and, uh, while he's awake. So speaking of that, you will hear, oh, just small, small little yelps from him during the interview. He is fine. (laughs) Um, I think he was complaining because his magnetiles were not behaving the way that he liked. Um, anyway, I'm like very excited to present this interview. So I really wanted to get it out this week. So, um, excuse me if my intro is a little out of it. Uh, but I, it's important to me to get this out because it is a episode about the new year and sort of any kind of feelings you've been having it about it and intentions slash resolutions you have. Um, I talked to Robin Wilner again. You all loved her the first time we had her on and, uh, she's back. So, um, I'm really excited. We had a really good conversation. She, if you haven't heard the episode with her, you should go back and listen, but, uh, she is a nutritionist and wellness coach and yoga instructor. And she just had some really like good new fresh perspectives on fad diets. She had some really good advice for ways to embrace wellness in the new year and kind of really ways to think about your goals for yourself and your wellness in the new year. Um, yeah, I had a really good time talking to her and it's not the usual kind of usual new year, new you stuff. Um, she is really thoughtful about the way that she presents information and she knows a lot. So I actually learned a lot about things like the keto diet and intermittent fasting. Um, and, yeah, I just found her perspective really fresh and new. So that interview is coming right up. Uh, and I think you'll really enjoy it. Uh, please let me know what you think about it. You can always find me on Instagram and Facebook at, uh, homebodies yoga podcast, as I say in the intro. And you can also of course find me on, uh, my email. Uh, and, and please let Robin know too. Uh, I have all of her stuff in the, um, show notes, her Instagram and her website and all of that. So you can always find her and ask her any questions about anything she said, or just comment about how much she loved it. Um, yeah, my own practice is not much to report. Honestly, I, (laughs) I'm, to be honest, and I think all parents are feeling this way, sort of holding on by a thread. So I am lucky if I'm eating a vegetable a day and getting my meditation in which before my son wakes up and it's complete havoc. Um, but I have been meditating since the first. It's, I think, the, oh, it's the fifth. So that's pretty good every day. Um, and I've been getting some movement in, but it's also freezing cold here. So that's been great. So stuck inside, getting movement in where I can. One thing, 
I did want to talk about with movement because I know everyone is stressed or not everyone. I, I imagine many of you are stressed and busy right now. Um, is that I was introduced to this concept of a exercise snack um, because I think so much of the time I feel like, oh, I have to have at least 20 minutes set aside or whatever. Um, but this exercise snack is like when you have like five minutes, you know, do a bunch of squats. When you have uh, two minutes, do a plank pose. When you have, you know, whatever, 20 minutes, do a yoga practice or, or Pilates practice. And that's been really helping me kind of rethink movement and getting it in throughout my day and I find I feel better actually because even if you do a long workout in the morning and then you sit still all day I think the body starts to feel sort of sluggish because the body's made to move Uh, so these little exercise snacks have been really nourishing me especially because being outside uh, and walking around is less pleasant in the 12 degree weather it is right now (laughs) anyway without further ado here is Robin Wilner Welcome, Robin. Thank you for being here. Hello. Thank you so much for having me, Rebecca. It's a pleasure to be back. Yeah, it's so fun to have you back. And you're actually the first person we've had twice. But I loved talking to you. And I'm just so I thought you would be perfect for this sort of New Year episode. Um, So we're going to talk actually a little bit less this episode about your own personal practice and talk a little bit more just about the new year and what people might be thinking and what you're thinking uh, about that uh, and just sort of some health and wellness goals that people might have. So I'm really excited to talk. Same here. Cool. So let's get right into it. Um, I think by now we all sort of know that weight isn't always the best metric for health, but it's an easy metric because you can step on a scale and either you lost weight or you gained weight or you stayed the same. Like it's kind of easy to test. So I'm just wondering, like, what are some other metrics for for sort of judging our wellness besides the scale? I'm really glad that you asked this because something I've been thinking but in my own life and also trying to communicate with clients is that the scale can actually be really tricky and not be a great metric. So as women particularly, or if you're in a female body, when you start to shift in your hormones, there's a lot that can start to happen. You can actually gain physical weight and the size of your clothes don't even change. So something that I would tell anyone in a woman's body to first use as a metric is how are you feeling? If you're still menstruating, how are you feeling around your cycle? Mm-hmm. That is one of the very first places to start. And this can also apply to someone in a male body as well, because even though we don't talk about this a lot in our culture, we all go through some kind of cycle and that, that we can look at that monthly. So a female body is going to go through a natural infradian rhythm that is centered around menstruation, but a male body is also going to feel shifts in testosterone levels throughout the month. And it might be something that a man isn't very familiar with being as mindful of because there's no evidence of that shift happening. Say, you know, there's no period. So there isn't something tangible to look at. So I would say to anyone, regardless of what body you're in, to start to be really mindful of how you're feeling week to week. So even if it's just an experiment, let's say, of taking the month of January and kind of journaling. I think it's really important to really write something down, to think about how you're feeling and start to write down. How are you feeling week to week? Has anything changed? And it could be across the board from, are you feeling more exhausted on week one than say week three? Did you have a surge of energy week two? It could be any number of things. Did you feel a little bit... um, 
you know, of course, we can look at energy, sluggish. Did you feel a little brain fogged at one point in time? Did food take um, a little longer to digest? So really starting to get mindful of your experience from a broader perspective. And if it's okay, Rebecca, I'm going to give a perspective based on the five pillars of holistic health that I work with, which are food, hydration, movement, mindfulness, and rest. So the lens that you could sort of measure, if you will, through would be, how do you feel when you're eating food? Taking just that very basic step of, I ate something and how did I feel before? You could take, how did you feel during? Was it pleasurable? Was it rushed? (laughs) Were you watching TV and it was the news or some show where people were, you know, chasing after murderers? Like there's going to be a response in your body, right? And how did you feel afterwards? Did you feel satiated? Do you still feel hungry? Do you feel shame? There's so many things that we feel in association with food. So that would be my first thing to sort of measure is how are you feeling? And that's going to create more of a mindfulness with food. And then hydration is actually kind of a simple one. I know there's a lot of talk and, and I've told clients, you know, drink half your body weight in ounces of water. I'm going to say, throw that out the window for right now and just drink enough water that when you're going to the bathroom and you're going regularly, it's pale yellow to clear. And if you're feeling thirsty, your body's basically saying, Hey, I'm dehydrated. It's the simplest thing. Our bodies are actually not as complex sometimes as we make them out to be, right? So it doesn't have to be this metric, as you mentioned, you know, like a metric on the scale or the metric in your bottle of water. It could simply just be, am I feeling thirsty a lot? That's my body saying, hey, I'm, you know, I'm dehydrated. Grab some water, grab some tea, grab something that's not dehydrating like coffee or soda or alcohol. Right. And it's okay. I'm not going to tell anyone to get rid of their coffee, but please know that it is a dehydrating substance. So just drink a little bit more water if you are somebody that drinks coffee. And then the next would be movement. And that would be a great metric, I think, again, to look at how are you feeling? Not how often are you exercising or how much are you exercising, which is all fine and great, but how do you feel? You know, there are, there are days when I, can honestly tell you that I am so fatigued while I'm working out. I will find myself riding my bike and thinking, I'm so tired right now. I maybe should not be doing this right in this moment. And there's a couple things that that tells me. One, it could be the time of day that I've chosen to exercise. And perhaps I need to wait a little bit later until I have more of a surge of energy. And two, there's perhaps another activity that might be better for me. And as a woman who menstruates, I know that my body needs a little bit more rest right before my cycle. So there's that phase that week before I get a period where I'm telling myself, hey, you need to not be doing this high intensity interval workout right now. (laughs) Give yourself a little bit of time and wait until you have a surge of energy when your period's over. So those are a couple of ways that you um, you can sort of measure, if you will, how you're feeling. And then the last two are, um, the last two pillars are mindfulness and rest. So mindfulness is a little tricky in that it, there's no way to really measure it. There is a way of course, to sit back and, and assess, right? So as yogis, we know that meditation is extremely important and also very helpful and very healing. And I think it's really, really essential, particularly with all of the things that are coming into our minds and into our um, sort of our, our information orbits that we sit in stillness, even if we're not sitting, even if we're walking, 
right? Even if you're just taking a walk outside, but there's no distractions, there's no noise, if you will. And by noise, I mean all kinds of noise, emotional noise, right? So if there's a way that we can center and sit with our breath, even if it's 10 minutes a day, there's an opportunity to really start to tap into how is my mental health? And that's really where the measurement comes in. In the same way that you you want to really think about how do I feel when I eat? How am I feeling in my relationships? How am I feeling in my job? How am I feeling with everything that's going on in the world? And assessing that and allowing yourself to kind of just sit with your stuff, as we say, you know, sit with it. Feel, feel. Feelings are meant to be felt. I was just reading a book about this. Feelings are meant to be felt. They're not meant to be numbed. They're not meant to be pushed away. So that means any gamut of feeling that you have, feel it and then assess. And then the last one, and this is, I would say the most important, which is why I saved it for last is rest. If you're consistently feeling sluggish, if you feel like it's hard for you to get out of bed, if you feel like you have a surge of energy before you go to sleep, if, if you're waking up multiple times in the middle of the night, all the things having, you know, trouble getting to bed, whatever it might be, your body is giving you information. There isn't something wrong with you. That's not what it's saying. It's saying, Hey, I need you to shift something. So if there is one big takeaway that I would love for listeners to have, it would be figure out a way that you can consistently go to sleep at the same time and consistently wake at the same time and allow um, an opportunity for there to be a wind down phase. So it isn't just finish my work or you know get on my phone, check all my emails or get on social media or watch the movie until right before I go to sleep. You know That sense of sleep becomes a ritualistic practice because we spend so much time sleeping and it is essential because our organs are recovering. There's so much happening digestively. Our liver between the hours of 1am and 3am sort of needs to reset and recover. So it's so essential that we have enough time to rest and also to kind of hit the reset button to get going. So I know that was a very long-winded answer to your question, but the idea being that Forget the scale and just start to think about how am I feeling and how am I feeling in relationship to these pillars of how I'm eating, how I'm hydrating, how I'm moving, how am I um, emotionally um, responding? How is my mindset and and how is my rest? Mm. And it, in a way, you know, if you're taking a quick note every day of all of those things, it is sort of a metric, right? Because if you mm-hmm. do it every day, you can go back and look and say, oh, actually, like, I am feeling better generally this month than last month. So I think the piece about writing it down is really interesting to me, because otherwise, you might not realize that last month, actually, you weren't sleeping as well, or maybe you weren't yeah. feeling as good when you were eating. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. And I really like the, I like the health change of waking up and going to bed at the same time every day. Do you have any other like little health changes that, that would just help someone's wellness in the new year? Like just a small thing someone could change, could make a big deal if they did it every day. Oh, absolutely. And, and thank you for (laughs) bringing up the rest point again, because it, it is, it's so important. So I would say again, first and foremost, come up with a sleep schedule. That is um, super important. And what's great is that the phone has, if you have an iPhone, I don't know about any other phone, but there's actually a way that you can do it in your phone where you tell yourself, I wake and sleep all at the same times and it will actually set it for you. So I'm big on scheduling. I might've told you this the last time that we spoke. It's just part of my Virgo personality. 
I think it's essential to keep to uh, an eating schedule as well. And this isn't to say that um, I'm trying to offer more things for people to do on top of where, where we, you know, we, we might already feel overwhelmed. I have so much on my to-do list. It is important though, to allow yourself time to eat. So some of the simplest ways to do that is I do this in my calendar. I set aside a half an hour for breakfast, a half an hour for lunch and a half an hour for dinner. That's going to fluctuate because life happens, but even just knowing that those times are there and they're me times, no one can schedule a call with me. You know, no one can interrupt me during that time. I can't, um, I won't schedule a meeting during that time because I've gotten very used to saying, this is my me time, whether it's lunch or whether it's, I need to go outside and take a walk because I'm at my computer a lot. Just a half an hour of knowing that you are encouraged to eat. It's like permission to have consistency. And I'm going to give you a big secret, Rebecca, which um, it's actually not a secret, but a lot of people don't know this. But if you eat according to the day and the way it moves, according to the circadian rhythm of nature, lunch becomes the biggest meal of the day. And this is a game changer. So think about a bell curve and the way um, you know, you sort of start slow. It's like, even if you're exercising or taking a yoga class, there's a warm up section, there's a peak, you're building heat, you're moving a lot more, you can start feeling sweat dripping, you know, down your face. And then there's a cool down. And if you think of yoga, there's this point where we're, we're, we're trying to get towards rest, we're trying to get towards Shavasana. So the same goes for the way that our digestive system likes to function. And for many of us, we don't eat on a bell curve. We eat on something of a diagonal. Like we start slow in the morning and then we sort of build up, maybe even skip middle of the day because a lot of us will just kind of keep going, forget about lunch or just not give it much um, importance. And then it's like dinner. Okay, we're home, we're with family. It's time to eat this giant meal. And I can understand that, except that in our lifestyle, it happens so late in the day that doesn't actually move with nature. Nature moves in this same circadian bell curve rhythm. So it's the sun rising, peaking, setting, and preparing us for sleep, if you think about that, the simplicity of it. So my big secret takeaway is eat a bigger lunch. Mm-hmm. Have less food when you wake up because we call it breakfast because we're quite literally breaking the fast. So a lot of times in our culture, we will sleep in and have this big, big meal, let's say for Sunday brunch, which is going to throw your metabolism off. So if someone is looking to lose weight or if someone's looking to have higher energy or if someone's looking to just feel generally better, let's say less bloat, uh, less brain fog, less inflammation, whether it's on your skin or around your joints and inflammation shows up also a lot of times as, um, you know, sinus infections. And of course we're trying not to get colds and other viruses. So Really, it's about eating with this circadian rhythm, starting light, breaking the fast, giving your body time to adjust to being woke. And then lunch being this peak of the day where you have a surge of energy where you can eat a more nutritiously dense meal and then slowing yourself down so that dinner isn't as big as you might imagine that it should be. That could be just one simple way of shifting a habit so that you start to feel better. And again, it doesn't involve, um, you know, counting calories or, um, you know, trying, uh, different fads or quick fixes or, you know, any kind of 
um, diet per se, but it's just a habit that will shift your energy. And I promise you, all of my clients that have done this have had such great results. It's just a, uh, it's sort of like a mind twist, you know, to shift around lunch being the center of the day versus dinner. So it's just about getting creative with what is available and what you can eat during the day at that peak. And then making dinner a little bit less of a, of a sort of like the big kahuna of the day. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, what's interesting. Uh, that's how my toddler eats. Like, I don't know if that's, um, I don't know if all toddlers are that way, but he definitely a little bit in the morning, he eats a big lunch. And then sometimes he'll hardly eat dinner at all. Like he'll just have milk. That is, that's his whole dinner. So that's really interesting. He's, he's so smart. <laughs> well, yeah, it's I so guess. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think it's funny that, you know, that, that youngsters are like the closest thing that we have to nature. If you think about it, they're so set in their ways. They know when they're hungry. They know when they need to use the bathroom. They know when they need to go to sleep, whatever it is that they need, they, they let you know. <laughs> right. And it's so interesting that as we adjust to becoming adults, that we start to take away those natural patterns and fit into a different kind of mold, which is just the way that say work hours have been, you know, since I don't even know how long ago, probably a hundred years or more, but whatever it is that we're doing, is it natural? If you think about it, it's not connected with what nature is asking us to do. So I think taking that example from your, your toddler is so great because he's giving you that information. I need to start slow. And then I need more in the middle of the day to keep myself going and growing. And then I don't need as much at night because I'm getting ready for sleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, okay. So we talked about things that are good. And I'm just curious because like I have an interest in wellness. So I've been hearing about all kinds of nutrition fads for years. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of them contradict each other. <laughs> so I just want like your quick take on a couple fads and just what you sure. think. Okay. First yeah. one, intermittent, intermittent fasting. Okay. So glad that you brought this one up. So again, I um, well, I, I work as an expert in women's health. So I'm going to give you the perspective of a female body versus a male body. Female bodies have very different hormonal activity than male bodies. Therefore, intermittent fasting is not appropriate for a female body. There's a couple of reasons why I'm a really, really against fads, particularly this one. And research shows if you really go deep that... Um, certain fads like intermittent fasting are not being researched on women who still have a menstrual period. So we don't actually have the data to show how it affects a woman throughout her cycle in a positive way. We have data that shows how it affects a woman who is no longer menstruating or a male body. And this is super important because obviously someone who's no longer menstruating is not on that same infradian rhythm than someone who is. So If you are in a male body, intermittent fasting can actually be really successful for some. I'm not going to say all because there is no such thing as a one fits all approach. And this is why I'm always talking to clients and I ask questions about their biochemistry. And so that aside, intermittent fasting can work for a male body. What intermittent fasting is, is it's an opportunity to eat in a certain time frame and then fast for a certain time frame. And when it comes to a, a female body and the way that hormones fluctuate and the way that the cycle changes from week to week, 
it's super important for consistency. Otherwise, metabolism starts to slow, blood sugar gets irregulated, and immediately two things will happen. Adrenal fatigue, which let's just call that burnout, is, is sort of imminent. And also weight fluctuation, which if, I mean, I know for me, that's very aggravating. I do not like to see my weight fluctuate so much throughout a month. I like to feel light and full of energy. So I absolutely do not suggest intermittent fasting for any female that is still menstruating. What I do suggest for all folks, regardless of, um, of, you know, whether or not someone chooses to, to try this fad is giving yourself 12 hours from the time you stop eating in the evening to the time you break your fast in the morning. So that is really where intermittent fasting is sort of based upon. This 12-hour time period is, is essentially mimicking how long it takes for the digestive process to get started at minimum. So think about this. You eat food, and it has a long way to go throughout your digestive tract. So the digestive tract itself is sort of the length of a football field. So it's got a long way to go, and it doesn't happen super fast. So we think we eat something, and then it's like a few hours later, it's done. That's actually not true. It takes anywhere from 12 to 36 hours from the time food goes into your mouth to the time that it's eliminated out of your body. So think about the 12 hour fast overnight as the minimum amount of time to give your digestive system a rest. So if we simplify it, think about this, you wake up in the morning and let's say you consistently have breakfast at 7.30 AM. That would give you 12 hours to finish dinner by 7.30 PM. So you've given yourself 12 hours within the daytime to ha- to go by, of course, I, you know, as I mentioned, that bell curve. So you have, let's say, your breakfast, your big meal, your lunch, and your dinner. And if you need to snack, or of course, if there's more activity going on and you need more food, that can happen as well. But you give yourself a 12-hour period to consume your meals, and then a 12-hour period from 7.30 p.m. to, again, 7.30 a.m., where there's no consumption of food. So that is essentially a fast you know, so that's why, again, we're calling it breaking the fast when you have breakfast. So that is my personal suggestion versus going into this fad of intermittent fasting, unless you're working with someone. So when I've worked with male clients and we look at what time frames are actually working for their body, it can be different across the board from person to person. So that would be something I would say monitor with a professional. And if you're menstruating, stay away. Mm. Yeah, I um, definitely have found that to be true because my husband can, he'll occasionally do like 16 hour fast and he loves it. And I feel mm-hmm. insane. Like I've never, have, oh, yeah. it's never made me feel good ever. <laughs> so it's good to hear. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Isn't it so funny that, you know, there's so many memes out there about, you know, like my husband and I went on the same program and look at what happened to him. Look what happened to yeah. me. It's just like completely different. And, and listen, that's hard because we, you know, we live with partners that are not the same, you know, hormones as us. And that can be really complicated, but it's super important not to judge that or beat yourself up as someone that has a different response to another human being's habits. Right. So noticing that your husband feels really great. If he, eats within an eight hour period of time in a day and then goes for 16 hours without food, he might feel wonderful. His body supports that. His hormone um, activity supports that. And I'm not also just speaking of, of the female male hormones, but there are so many, there are hundreds of hormones in the body. So it's how every one of his systems is interacting. It works for him. It doesn't work for you. You've got the data. Now you know not to do it. You know. <laughs> 
speaking of that, I've been hearing a lot lately about a fasted workout. So let's say it's mm-hmm. within my 12 hour window of not eating. What, what do you think mm-hmm. about exercising without eating first? Again, I'm going to always ask someone how they feel. So I think it's super important that we get data based on that mindfulness piece of how am I feeling? I'll give you an example of just my own personal body. If I wake up in the morning and I go straight to a workout, I will have a couple glasses of water and feel amazing and not need food at all. But if I'm work actually that, and let me just back up for a second. That is not going to be true during the menstrual phase of my cycle. Absolutely not. I wake up in the morning and I feel ravenous and it's like, there's no way that I can exercise without settling my my blood sugar levels. And so I'll put my workout till later in the day. So that to me is just the data that says, this is what my body needs at this time. So I, again, I'm not going to sit and tell you that there is one answer for every human body, because I've heard some people say the same thing as you. Like I, some people will say to me, you know, my workouts come at the end of the day when work is over and I'm not going to eat before I work out, but I do need to grab a little something and I'll tell them, okay, great. You know, have a piece of fruit, grab a banana, grab an apple, have something, give yourself a good half hour if you can to let it move through your system. And it will go a little quicker because, you know, fruit does that it digests faster and then go to your workout. And so maybe someone will put a little alarm and say, okay, I need to have something in my belly. And then I need to give myself about half hour to, you know, 45 minutes minimum. And then I can go and have my workout. So I don't feel like my blood sugar is basically dropping and I'm dying in the middle of a workout. Right. (laughs) So again, I think it's just getting used to your body and that mindfulness piece. When I was dancing professionally, the most exercise that I had in a day was at night between the hours of eight o'clock and like 11 o'clock, which is so bizarre to think about, but that was how I functioned for so many years that I just got used to it. Right. So I needed to be very, um, in order for me to do that, I couldn't have food in my system because I, you know, I like, I wasn't able to perform. And then afterwards it was like ravenous. So again, I think it's about the individual and, the biggest suggestion that I could say to anyone is experiment with it. Experiment with how you feel. Try it one way. And if it's not working for you, try it another way. But at the very least, if you do put something in your belly, please give yourself a minimum of 30 to 45 minutes of a break before you do any kind of cardiovascular activity. You could, of course, be lifting weights because it's anaerobic and your body doesn't require as much oxygen, but if there is food, it gets confused, right? It goes, sort of goes into a fight or flight response and, and things shut down. And so just that timing would be best, but yeah, it's all about just kind of going with how you feel. Mm, that's interesting. Okay. Next trend. And what do you think about the keto diet? That is so important that you asked me that because I find that it's become really misunderstood and that particularly Again, a lot of women will choose to try this diet, for instance, as a weight loss program. And it's actually really dangerous. As I mentioned, women who are menstruating have very different needs than women who aren't and men who, of course, don't have a menstrual cycle. So let's just break down first what exactly is a keto diet? What does this mean? So essentially what's happening with 
the keto diet is that it's very high in fat and very high in animal protein and very low in carbohydrates. And essentially the theory is that cutting carbohydrates from your diet is allowing your body to switch to burning fatty acids or ketones. So you're essentially putting your body into what's called ketosis. Now over a short period of time, theoretically, this could actually work to help with weight loss. And a lot of people have found that it does. And it's interesting because I think for folks who are losing weight, a lot of times it's because they're removing a lot more of starchy, refined carbohydrates that are actually um, easy to gain weight from. They're removing these from their diet. And so what's going to happen to your body when you're bringing more high protein and healthier fats, like say fatty fish or um, avocados or eggs, foods that are filled with essential fatty acids that we need for anti-inflammatory properties or particularly, again, to help us with weight management. These are all good things. So a lot of times people find in the short term that it's wonderful, but the reason why this is not a good idea for the long term or just generally as a way of life is because higher levels of fatty acids in the blood essentially can lead to heart disease, especially if it's not monitored. And some of the other issues that can happen is that if you have an, a diet, let's say that's very high in animal protein, and this is actually not something that say your ancestors were used to eating or a way that is genetically really great for your particular biochemistry, your gut bacteria can start to change. There's not enough fiber coming into your diet as well, because there aren't as many carbohydrates in this particular diet. So what happens when we don't have enough fiber is essentially we're constipated because the fiber is like what I, I, I would describe this like a water slide. It's like, there's no water on the water slide and you're trying to go down. You know, it's like literally fiber is the part of the food that's not digested, but is trying to help everything run smoothly through this football field long digestive tract. So a lot of times folks will feel extremely constipated and there's a lot of animal protein in their body that's not necessarily being broken down and unfortunately is being sort of attached to the sides of the colon, which can cause a lot of inflammation, disruption, discomfort, and such. Another thing that can happen is nutrient deficiencies, particularly in magnesium and potassium. And magnesium is so important. And again, I'm always going to bring this back to a woman who is in her menstrual cycle, which is that magnesium is nature's muscle relaxer. So think about if you have cramping or any kind of PMS that affects you physically, even um, migraines, something that I suffer a lot from during my period. If you have a lack of magnesium, and so many people do, it's all across the board. Rebecca, it's amazing how most human beings have a magnesium deficiency. Just generally, we're not getting enough in our diet. And so our muscles aren't relaxing. And that's one of the reasons migraines are really bad. It's like the muscles around your brain are contracting your heart muscle needs to contract and relax in order to function. And magnesium and calcium are basically, and I said them opposite, but one contracts, one releases, right? So if we don't have magnesium in our diet, our body is going to feel very restricted. Our muscles are going to feel really tense. So it's important we don't have that deficiency. And that's one of the things that uh, keto can cause. And then just generally low blood sugar, it's super important that we have a balanced diet and what happens with these fads a lot of times, and we talked about intermittent fasting, whether it's that or this or any other kind of fat or, or even a juicing 
cleanse for a couple of days is that our blood sugar starts to destabilize. And what then happens is we start to, you know, we cut down on carbohydrates, which can lead to a spike in our cortisol. And if anyone has ever felt stressed, that is a spike in your cortisol. Cortisol is meant to help wake us up and then it's supposed to slow down and melatonin comes in and helps us go to sleep. So these are hormones, right? What happens is we start to have a spike in cortisol because our blood sugar is off, our carbohydrate level is off. And so everything just kind of stops working properly. And, and what's so important all the time is balance, balance, balance. Particularly, again, if you're a woman and you're on your menstrual cycle, the let's call it that fourth week of, of the infradian rhythm, you want to have more fats. You want to have more animal protein in your diet. You want to be more at rest and be feeding your body a little bit more calorically. And so a keto type of a diet would be a really great thing to do for just that week, but definitely not for the rest of the month, if that makes sense. Because it, again, it's just going to essentially throw your body into a state of havoc, which is what's happening. Can I digest all of this protein? And most of the people that I know don't feel very well if they do something like this for a while. And, and I know that, um, you know, sometimes I'll meet women who tell me, you know, my husband and I, or my boyfriend and I we were both trying this and he felt amazing. And I absolutely felt crappy. And that, that makes sense to me because it's not supporting the way that a woman's hormones are naturally moving throughout that four week cycle. So again, a long-winded answer to your question, but I'm not a fan of any kind of fad whatsoever because it leaves people wondering, why didn't this work for me? Why did this work for someone else? Or if it did work for me, what the heck do I do now? And then there's no support and no information to transition into long-term, um, long-term ha- habits, let's say. Yeah. I, so I've done keto and I did lose weight. And so it actually, while you were talking, I was thinking about this. It was like, actually took me a long time to separate it because as a woman or maybe everyone who grows up in our culture, when you lose weight, you assume you feel great. Like if you don't think about it, you're like, oh, well, I fit in smaller pants, so I'm doing great. (laughs) Um, But it took me a while to realize that actually I was feeling really like sluggish and kind of sick from it. Like I didn't feel good. Like I felt bad. I think, and I think it was excess, excessive protein actually for me too. Like I felt. Yeah. Yeah. And remember, you know, yes. And that is a very, very similar uh, reaction that I've heard a lot of women say to me is I lost weight. (laughs) I feel you just, you nailed it on the head. I lost weight. Therefore I must be okay. And this is why I think it's so important for us to not be so culturally obsessed with how our body fits into clothes, but how we feel. So if you said to me, I feel amazing bonus. I lost a little bit of extra weight that I was carrying around that I wasn't used to having. I would say to you, okay, great. We're on a roll. But if you said to me, I lost weight, but I feel like crap. I would say to you, okay, something's not going right. Mm -hmm. You know? And also I just have to put this out there because someone said it, I think I read it somewhere on a post, maybe online. And I just like, it's sitting with, and I love this idea. But a lot of times we will say to someone like, oh, have you lost weight? You look amazing. And we don't realize that we might be complimenting someone on their depression, on their eating disorder, on their illness, on any number of factors that are actually not related to what we would consider to be healthy. And I'm a prime example of that. When I was going through my divorce, I think I lost something like 10 or 12 pounds that I didn't really have to lose. 
And I was just not healthy. I was not eating. I was very sad. I wasn't getting adequate sleep at all. And I was barely exercising, to be honest, because I was just depleted all the time. I had very little energy. So I had lost muscle mass. And I just, you know, people were like, oh, you look amazing. And I was like, I feel awful. Like if you knew what was going on inside my body, but somehow that feeling of like, oh, I have a smaller pant size now was, you know, sort of embedded in my brain. Like somehow I had accomplished a goal. So I just hope that particularly this new year, my hope is that folks are res- like resolving to say nicer things about themselves love their body more and think more about how you feel versus what size you are or, or how much you weigh. And that's not to say that, you know, we don't want to monitor our health in terms of if, you know, if you go to your doctor and your doctor says, Hey, listen, you know, your cholesterol levels are high, or, um, you have a risk of, um, you know, heart, heart disease in your family and you're pre-diabetic or whatever it is, we get that information. Yes. That is a sign that thing needs to shift. Um, and, and weight loss can look very different. You can, you know, you can lose fat and gain muscle mass and it's going to do nothing on the scale, you know? So again, I think it's super important that whatever folks choose to do, whatever, um, you know, we put into our bodies, what we take in that we're always thinking about, how does this make me feel? And is it good? Is it, is it, is it putting me towards my ultimate goal? Is there a why behind what I'm doing? And am I fulfilling that why? If it's not aligned, it's no good. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I think it's so tempting this time of year to be like, oh, like, okay, well, the holidays, whatever, I ate a lot of cookies, whatever you did during the holidays. Like I, I just, now I'm just going to like buckle down and whatever, but it's just, and, and, the reason that this happens every year is because it's actually not sustainable to think that way. Right. Because it always happens every single year. (laughs) Um, Yes. Yeah. We uh, have habits. I mean, it's, it's impossible not to have this sort of habit of moving into the holidays and feeling indulgent. It's around us. It's, it's marketed to us. It's, you know, it's fun in many ways to see your family or see your friends, your loved ones to gather for parties and to feel the sense of joy and abundance and indulgence. What I think is really dangerous is that on the flip side of that is all of this shame. And it's, it's a terrible way to feel. And I'm someone who has felt it for so long, not just over the holidays, but any time that I have experienced an indulgence, there is this little voice in my head that's like, you should not have done that. You're going to have to work so much harder tomorrow. And, and this is my own personal process of trying to unravel that that sort of mantra, that language that's embedded in my head and change it to, no, I didn't do anything wrong. I was enjoying myself and I'm trying not to live in self-deprivation. And I also know that if I have gone through a period of time where, you know, I've overindulged or I don't feel great, then it is time for me to, to assess and say, okay, now what? So whether it's the new year or whether it's you know, six months down the line, we can always be assessing how we feel. And I think it's super important to both say, how am I feeling right now? And what is important for me to change if I want it to be different? So if you're feeling amazing, I think it's super important to have data. Why am I feeling amazing? What changed? What's been going on? And usually it takes about, you know, a month, let's say um, about 28 full days 
to, to feel some kind of shift. So if you're feeling a shift and you feel awesome, it's taking notice and saying, great, what have I been doing in the last month to feel so awesome? Let me sustain that and keep going. Or if you're like, I kind of don't feel good at all. In fact, I'm feeling really sluggish. I'm feeling really sad and kind of under the weather. I feel um, you kind of burned out or like I need a reset button and then going, okay, why? Why do I need that? Get behind your why and then start to say, okay, I'm going to gather some data. And it's just like what we talked about in the beginning. It's as simple as saying, I don't think I've been getting great sleep. Why do I think that is? Then start to monitor what's going on. What are the things that are, 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 what are the habits that are being created to suddenly get you to sleep? And then just start with rest, just one of the pillars and assess that and then go to the next pillar and say, okay, what have I been doing differently when it comes to my exercise or my food habits or whatever it might be? You know, so it's like, we're just always checking in. So it's not just like January. Now I've had to change everything when it's literally just one month out of a year that quite honestly, if you're living in a very cold environment, it's not an easy time of year to start making dramatic changes with your body. Your body wants to hibernate. It wants to rest more just like nature. So it's very taxing to start to put all this pressure on ourselves, particularly in January, which unfortunately it's just what happens. We all get like, you know, that feeling of, oh, I shouldn't have done what I did in December. And now I'm going to make up for it. And like you said, buckle down. And it is a really hard thing to do at this time of year. Mm. So are there any like, um, so let's say like someone's like, okay, I overindulge in December. I'm not feeling great. I'm feeling sluggish. My sleep isn't good because my eating's not good. And my eating's not good because my sleep's not good, blah, blah, on and on. Mm-hmm. Are there yeah. any ways to just sort of like any goal, like small goals you can make to sort of get out of that, like overindulgent time to just kind of get yeah. to a new phase? Yeah. I mean, listen, I'm really not a fan of the whole New Year's resolution thing. I I think this idea of sort of saying, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to lose 10 pounds this year, or, you know, I'm, I'm going to work out five days a week. I think these are wonderful goals to put into place, but I think what's missing is the intention behind it. So I just want to differentiate between a goal and an intention. So you could say my goal is to, is to get better sleep. Let's just use sleep as the example. My goal is to get better sleep. My goal is to, is to, uh, get eight hours every night. Let's just say that. Um, and I also just want to throw in, I think the reason that we've always heard eight hours of good sleep, just keep in mind, we sleep within, um, cycles of 90 minutes, um, so really at seven and a half or nine, so it's like, you know, that's why you hear the eight, but it's like, let's say I want to get seven and a half good hours of, of, of sleep every night. And it takes you kind of a half hour to wind down. That's a great goal. So then I would say to you, what is your intention? Like, how do you actually intend to get there? Cause it's so easy for us to say, there's something that I want to do. And this is what I think happens with resolutions. There's a thing we say that we're going to do or stop doing, but then we have nothing to get us there. So then the intention would be breaking it down. How am I actually going to start getting better sleep? So let's say we break it down into three intentions. One, I'm going to set an alarm on my phone for 10 o'clock at night so that I know 1030 is when I go to bed. And then I'm going to set that alarm for when you know whatever time it is for me to wake up. And I'm going to consistently do that for the next three weeks. 
So that would be intention number one, right? So you're actually taking your goal, breaking it down and putting it into something that's actually measurable, right? So it's kind of like what you were talking about at the beginning. There's a metric behind it. We have to actually break it down. So that would be, let's say, intention number one with this overarching goal. And then intention number two might be for that half hour, let's just stick with this example, between 10 and 10.30, I'm going to make it a lights out, complete analog time, right? So it's like, there's no TV, there's no computer, there's no cell phone. In fact, I highly recommend that if any of those things are in your bedroom that you, you know, resolve to take them away so that they're not there kind of tempting you. So that there's no exposure to any kind of of high definition light or um, electromagnetic radiation, right? So that half hour is analog only, I like to say. So it's like read a book, right? And by that, I mean like an actual book or the Kindle that's not on your iPad so that you have no exposure to that light, right? Read a book, meditate, listen to music, take a bath, anything that is not stimulating, So that might be intention number two is that that half hour starts to become sort of a ritual, sacred family lights out. Let's all do something analog before we go to sleep. Right. And I was just thinking, as I'm saying this about my friend who has a newborn, and she said that every time they, uh, she and her husband go to put him down, the room is so set up. It's like the fan is on at a certain, you know, at like a certain speed facing a certain way. There's one very dim light. There is like something else. I can't remember what it was that she said, maybe it was music playing, but there, there's something set up in the room so that her baby starts to understand sleep time. And it's so important that we do the same thing for ourselves. Right. And then let's say intention number three is let's just make it something really simple. I'm going to tell my best friend every day when I wake up, Hey, I did my sleep ritual. And I'm going to send them a little text emoji, like of a person sleeping and a thumbs up, right? So just some accountability that allows you to stick with your intention so that if your friend's like, hey, what happened last night? I didn't get your emoji in the morning. You can be like, oh no, (laughs) you know, got to get back, right? So you're breaking down any goal that you have into something very tangible, which gives you a means of actually sustaining your progress versus just saying, I want to do this thing. I want to work out five times a week for the next month does not end up happening for most people. Why? Because there isn't an intention behind how you're going to do that. If you want to work out five times a week, but right now you're only working out one, you can't go from one to five. There's got to be like, I'm going to work out twice a week this week and see how I do. And then I'm going to go for three times and then I'm going to go to four and then I'm going to go to five. So do you see what I'm saying? So it's like breaking each goal down into measurable, tangible intentions. And and that is my suggestion for any of the five pillars that we've talked about to kind of simplify whatever it is that you want to do. And then again, you just write down your progress so that you have some way of applauding yourself when it's going well and and not shaming yourself when it doesn't. That's the biggest piece. Like if it doesn't happen, talk to yourself the way you would talk to a child that was learning a new skill. Like, hey, buddy, that was so great. You tried, you showed up. There was effort there. Try again. Yeah. And what I really like about your example is the difference between a resolution and an intention, because 
you can't actually force yourself to sleep, which many insomniacs know. So it, yes. it seems unfair to say like, I resolve to sleep seven and a half hours because actually you can't. So the intention right. you can say to yourself like, okay, well, I was stressed last night. I didn't sleep well, but I did, I did my nighttime ritual. And that's actually, mm-hmm. that's the success. The success doesn't come from the sleep. Absolutely. And I think Absolutely. the same could be for something like, you know, if you're like, I want whatever, even if let's say you do choose weight loss as a, a goal, that's again, not always at your control, but to say like, I want to eat a a vegetable, vegetable every day. That's possible. You know, a hundred percent. I think what you said is so important as a takeaway, these resolutions that we have a tendency to make are not within our control. And I think it's the hardest thing for any human being who wants to see change and transformation in their life to accept that it's not always going to happen the way that we want to. Right. And you're exactly correct in that I can't control. I mean, I have my own sleep schedule, but there's a lot of times where I'll wake up multiple times in the middle of the night versus get a full night's sleep. And I, I've been studying um, a lot of Chinese medicine and noticing what hour of the night that I wake up and, and what organ that that correlates with. And so I can start to say to myself, okay, if I'm waking up at you know, a certain time, like I mentioned the liver, if I'm waking up at 2 a.m., I know my liver's not functioning well. So then I say to myself, what can I do? And, you know, I'm not suggesting that we all, you know, start to obsess over, you know, what time you're waking up in the morning, but I'm just saying, if I'm not doing as well as I'm hoping that I would do at the very least, I can say, well, I'm still getting to bed at the same time every night. I'm trying to get to get up every morning. I'm creating a a ritual and a schedule for myself with the hopes of developing a lifelong habit, right? So even like you said, taking weight loss again, as the example a lot of us might be saying, you know, I have five stubborn pounds that I'd really like to lose. What a great thing if I could figure out how to lose them. But also, again, going back to the why is super important. I would say to anyone, why is losing five pounds the goal? Why is this so important? Most people usually will come back and say something to me like, I want to feel lighter. I want to feel more energized. I want, you know, I want to have better skin. I want to feel more youthful, whatever it is. And then I would say, great, let's make that the goal. Mm -hmm. Instead of I want to lose five pounds, let's make the goal. I want to feel lighter. I want to feel radiant. I want to feel energized. I want to have great skin. So that you distill whatever it is that you think you want into some kind of purposeful statement. So that we're not just saying, oh, I want to lose five pounds. Because guess what? We've already talked about you can lose five pounds and still feel like crap. You can still have you know, skin that doesn't glow, feel really fatigued. And again, it's about how did you do it? Right. You know, if you're, if you're trying a way that doesn't work for you, you can very well lose weight and still not be healthy on the inside. So I would encourage anyone to look at whatever resolution goal that you might have for this year. And again, distill it down to a sentence and and make it a why statement. And then that why is going to be the driving force, whether it's losing weight, whether it's uh, you know, quitting caffeine or whether, you know, it's, you know, anything, getting better sleep, it's distilling it to like one sentence. Why is this important to you? And then everything that you do around that, because this is the holistic model, right? Anything that you do is going to be purposeful and for the sake of that, why, instead of it just being, I need to see five pounds, you know, go off on the scale or I need people to see me walking into that gym or, you know, I need to brag about how many times, you know, online about how many workouts I had this week. If there's no why behind it, it's not purposeful for you anyhow. 
right? So it's, it's, it's going to disconnect and it won't be in our control if we're not driven by purpose anyhow. Right. Yeah. And there's something about what you just said that feels just like very feminist to me, because I think the weight loss thing is like saying like, I want to be smaller. Like I want to be smaller. And what you turned is what you're turning, what your client saying to you, I want to be smaller into actually something bigger. Like, no, I want to glow. Like I want to feel good. I want to feel energized, which is like so much more interesting. And just, I don't know. I just feel like as a woman, it's so much better to have that as your mantra or I mean, anyone, but mostly women listen to this podcast. So we can say that. <laughs> yes. And I love that you just told me that I sounded feminist as I was talking about that. I wasn't even trying to, but I no, do agree I, with, yeah, I agree with you. I think that there is, you know, culturally we have been conditioned as women to shrink and I'm not just talking about shrink in size, but shrink back, you know, to how you speak, you know, even just, I know when I listen to myself, um, whether I'm, you know, on, on a podcast or, or anytime I listen to my voice on a recording, I'm always like, man, I'm like, I'm like loud and, you know, fierce and, you know, I've got opinions. And, and I remember not being like that for so long and, and feeling again, like you're saying that I had to be small in so many ways. And I do agree. I think women generally who come to me want to feel bigger. And I'm not talking about size. I'm talking about, they want to be seen. They want to be heard. They do. They want to radiate from the inside out. They want to feel more purposeful, more driven, have the energy to do the, you know, 8,000 things that women are expected to do in a day. I mean, we're literally super women. And I think what's important and this is for any human body is to really recognize that your biochemistry is a superpower. There is an opportunity to look at all of the elements that make you uniquely you and not just from the, the emotional perspective, but also the physical perspective and that spiritual and holistic perspective, the whole, and to say, you know, that I want that to be, to, to have a bigger impact right? I want to feel holistically all around better, more functional, happier. And, and when, you know, the storms come in, be able to handle them better instead of feeling like I have to be squashed. And and you're absolutely right. I do think it is. Um, I think it is important, particularly for those women who are listening to, to, to be less concerned with um, shrinking into a size of pants and, and more driven to having a bigger impact, whether that's in your relationships, in your job, um, you know, in yourself, whatever it might be. And that, that does involve, you know, changing the, flipping the script really about like what it is that you're resolving to be or do or have. Right. Definitely. Well, um, I'd like to end there, but I have one more last question and then we'll end. Uh, do you have yes. an attention for this year for 2022? I do. I, I love that we we've had these traditions, um, like on social media of coming up with a word. Um, mine are actually, mine is actually two words and it's slow down. And that is such a surprising intention for me because usually my intentions have been, you know, more of something. <laughs> it's like, usually it's, I want to manifest more and that's being a very productive person this year I have 
kind of had a really big look in the mirror. And as a woman in my forties, I've had to start to say, okay, (laughs) note to self, you're not going backwards in time in terms of how your body functions and, and, you know, the changes that I'm feeling and all things. So slow down and I can feel myself resisting even as I'm (laughs) saying it to Rebecca, because it's so against how I've always been. But I think that that is kind of, um, I think actually slowing down doesn't necessarily mean, uh, that less amazing, um, things will happen or that, you know, that I won't still be creating. It just means like my pace and my, my, um, the way that I treat myself. Um, as a human being and as a female body. So yes, slow down. <laughs> that is my intention. I love that. Well, this has been so great. And I actually know that people are going to want to hear more from you. So if someone's interested in working with you, how can they find you? Yes, you can find me uh, two ways. One is my website, robinwilner.com. And I encourage folks to grab my freebie, which is an optimal you wellness bundle. So it's filled with all kinds of goodies. You'll get um, my my five steps to eating mindfully guidebook, as well as um, a meditation and a yoga um, practice on there. So grab that. And then there's lots of other free content that'll come your way. Um, of course, you can work with me one-on-one and all the information about my programs is on my website. You can also find me on Instagram at robin.wilner. And again, lots of free content and ways for us to work together can come through that as well. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I have to be honest with you over that interview with Robin Wilner. I love talking to her and like, I've read a lot in books about thinking about the why, and I've always found it like sort of corny, but somehow the way that she explained it, it made so much more sense. And it wasn't just corny. It was like logical, like instead of being like, oh, I have to find my passion. It was just like, no, like the way that you can accomplish things that you want to change is by thinking through why you want them and, and how you'll do it. (laughs) It made, it made it sound more like uh, creating a blueprint rather than like I don't know, some kind of like corny wish or something, which is how I've always thought it was presented in other books. Uh, so I hope, I don't know, I hope you got something out of that. I, I, I imagine that you did if you're still listening. Um, and again, definitely find Robin. You can find her on Instagram. You can find me on Instagram. You can go to our websites and let us know what you thought about the show. And, you know, if you enjoyed the show, share it with someone you know. Um, especially this episode, I feel like it's a really good one for uh, anyone who you feel like is being, especially a lady, a woman who who's being hard on themselves, I feel like this show, this episode would be really good to, you know, lovingly get back to wellness, mental well, mental health wellness, physical wellness, and all the other wellnesses. Um, but my son is about to wake up from his nap, so it means my moments of free time are fleeting. So I'm gonna go, but um, happy practicing and. Uh, Talk soon. Bye.